0: Hello, welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Anna Lindner, your host, and today we're going to be talking to Dr. Lahasa Molloy, who wrote Developing Africa New Horizons with Afrocentricity. Dr. Molloy, thanks so much for coming on today.
1: Thank you very much. I'm elated beyond measure.
0: Of course. And as a bit of introduction, Dr. Molloy is an Afrocentric scholar grounded in the paradigm of Afrocentricity. He is a senior lecturer in the Department of Development Studies at the University of South Africa. He holds a PhD in Development Studies and broadly reflects on and writes on Africa, knowledge, development, and decolonization. So to start here, I was wondering if you could talk us briefly through your central argument that you make in the book, and I'll briefly quote you here. You wrote, African development discourses must be decolonized from parochial Western-centric lenses and must be reinterpreted within an Afrocentric history and culture.
1: What is more interesting is that if you look at the cover of the book, the cover was uh, drawn by a close brother and friend of mine, Shukin, who I used to train with. That because I realized his artistic skillfulness. And I spoke with him once, and then the second day, he interpreted the image of what was in my mind. What is in the picture? We see the image of the African continent, as we know it, with the inclusion of Madagascar. But this image shows the cracks of the earth crust, that kept out Africa, but it's so dry. But yet, there's a magic in the middle of it, of a seed that is bursting the cracks. But around this picture also, this seed has deep roots as it bursts the ground into the bathing, and that I call New Horizons with Afrocentricity. The crags are speaking of brokenness, head, and pain of a history of a people who are born through brokenness, coercion, dispossession, dehumanization, rejection. In the words of Fanon, the rest of the earth bathed through pain of. Oppression And uh, the central theme and message of this book, the pinnacle of their brokenness, is brought about what Professor ngugiwath termed the cultural bomb that annihilated them, believing in their names, in their cultures, in their way of life. And as a result of the voyages of Discovery of the late 14th century, which... Uh, were disguised as civilization and christianization mission when actually it was the concealment of evil in pursuit of self interest that used africa as a hunted and targeted space that became victimized therefore having been in a lecturer, an academic at the University of South Africa this year marks 24 years. I looked and read through how the discourse of development or human advancement or progress has been defined. And so I am an African child who has learned through the voices of many other scholars who have led before my time, who borrowed the thoughts of Professor Mulefikete Asante um, through the idea of African people centered in their own experiences. so the central three of the book seeks to provide a critique to the euro modern idea of how Africa should develop, which is epitomized, in 1949 in inaugural presidential speech of Harry Truman we introduced the point 4 program that was deemed to speak of the african conditions and that then mapped out how those filthy places occupied by people who are subhuman species could be developed into the image of an european and american Men and women. So I am presenting an argument centered from an African philosophical and ideological location to confront the racism of Harry Truman, which is rooted in a bigger evil of the aftermath of the 14th century Italian Renaissance that led to the 1492 birth of modern Europe that justified their evil plan to invade other lands for themselves as a civilizational mission. In the words of Enrique Dussel, who is late, they achieved their diabolical plan through what they term sacrificial violence to advance the project of modernity. So this book and the central theme and argument advances the deprived voices of the victimized to redefine development from where they stand using their history, culture, and assertion of their agency as an advancement of a protest scholarship against Eurocentrism. That's a summation.
0: Yes. Thanks for that explanation. And obviously, the central idea of your book is Afrocentricity. So I'm wondering if you could define that for your readers and also explain what you mean by Afrocentricity being a liberatory paradigm and how that shapes the argument of your book.
1: Afrocentricity is a concept that has been in the vocabulary and a coinage of W.E., Du as one of the father of modern sociological studies. He coined the term Afrocentric, but also the concept Afrocentric became used by one of the renowned African leader and a politician and a thinker and a philosopher, Kwame Nkrumah, a former president of Ghana. But what... Uh, Professor Kete Asante did was to expand on this coinage in academic terms to create a philosophical perspective and named it Afrocentricity in the early 1970s um, as a way also to do deep reflections about himself as an African in the American land, seeking for his own identity. And later on, he brought that Afrocentricity into the academic jargon and space. That's why he's called the father of Afrocentricity. Although the concept was used, it had not actually been developed into a philosophical perspective with units of analysis. So he worked along with what we call the Temple School of Thought. So I've had a privilege of meeting some of them, Professor Amamazama, Mazama and, you know, that day, Cecil Keto, who is from South Africa and many other scholars who are part of that circle to conceptualize it. What Afrocentricity is about, it is a philosophical perspective Uh, that seeks to address the problem of psychological dislocation uh, by seeking to relocate African people to their own identity terms of history and culture as agents defined also from their lived experiences to challenge the Euro modernity project. So it is actually a standpoint of consciousness from identitarian perspective of who they are, from their lived experiences, to advance the revolutionary stance, to oppose any system that has benefited from their own exploitation. So it encourages the rerouting, the recounting, the relocation of a people subjected into madness as a byproduct of thinking outside of their own terms of reference. So it's a philosophical perspective that says to understand African people, we must firstly locate them within the context of their identity and what has defined them. So that is basically the base from which the Afrocentrists are thinking from. It's a locative perspective that provides situated analysis. In the words of Professor Moya, what Afrocentricity does is called The Interpretative Horizon, which speaks to the location of a thinker as they look out to the world, grounded on their knowledges. Yes. I was brought more to the awareness of decoloniality through the works of Professor Ndlovu Sabelo kacheni who is one of the leading African scholars, Weeks ago, I was with him and we were having deep uh, reflections. Decoloniality as a theoretical paradigmatic thought can be seen as a mixed cocktail of theoretical positions, movements, and ideas that seeks to oppose the global north as the epicenter that has colonized what they created as a global south. The conglomerate of the global south would constitute Latin Americans who were the first to be colonized after Spain is the first modern state extended its rule. And um, from there, they moved to Asia. And then after perfecting all the uh, diabolical plans of killing others to take over, they took over Africa. So decoloniality is not one theory. It's a multiplicity of theory, and it seeks to allow a conversation between those who have been the victims of the Eurocentrity project. And that is a very noble position. And uh I normally say I am an Afrocentric decolonial scholar grounded in Afrocentricity because. The concept D linked to colonization. D is a repellent prefix that says no colonization, but from which identitarian perspective am I approaching the table of conversation among all those who have been victimized? I am not speaking as a Latin American, and I'm not speaking as an Asian, but I'm speaking as an African. Now, the locus of initiation in decoloniality is the birth of modern Europe in 1492. But um, I don't have a problem with that. Decoloniality, as far as this work is concerned, through walking a journey with my supervisor, Professor Saber, gave me the tools for the critique of modern European idea and its birth, where it comes from, and how it came about. It's locus of initiation. It's 1492 and the world after. And the colonial matrices of power, that structures. And it also introduces the concept of coloniality. That shows how in the aftermath of a direct invasion, the program still continued. But I'll come back to that. Now, with the Afrocentricity, and I prefer to say Afrocentricity and decoloniality, because the locus of initiation of Afrocentricity, it's not the birth of modern Europe. The birth of modern Europe is but a middle passage. It's like as if the train is moving and then you catch the story halfway by jumping into the train. Afrocentricity traces the genealogy of the interpretation of African people in the context of the birth of human civilization. So it argues that Africa was not only invaded by the recent arrival in the past 500 years, which are Europeans. Africa also in 652 BC or 7th century, it became invaded by the Arabs also. We go much more further in 30 BC. Africa became invaded by the Romans, the invasion of Carthage. Let me go much more further and say, Africa in 332 became invaded by Alexandra so-called the Great. If I'm not wrong, it must have been in the 26th dynasty, where they pushed out the Persians to take control to create the Ptolemy, which became symbolic of the Greek conquest. Now, what Afrocentricity does? It goes into the south of the Nile Valley, not the global south created by modernity, but the south of the Nile Valley as the birth of human civilization that speaks of the story of the kemetic Badarians as the first villagers 6,000 years BC. Later on, It talks about the story of the Kushites, the story of the Nubians, the story of the Pharaohs, who are the builders of the pyramids of Giza and that whole area. And it tells of the story of early human civilization in the aftermath of the Homo sapiens. And so... In terms of its mapping, of its historiography, it's not dealing with racist ideologies that are based on white supremacy, but it's going to the core of the questions of the human. And it deals with discourses of what that early civilization has brought to us that became invaded and the artifacts that also includes the Rosetta Stones became stolen. It introduces some of the first human philosophers, such as Imhotep, who stood before the face of the earth as a knowledgeable servant of the people, the physician, the scientists, the mathematicians, the philosopher. So what it then does, Afrocentricity, it disrupts transhistoricism. Transhistoricism is when you use the modern world of racism and trying to look to the past with that eye, to only reproduce as though things have always been the way they were. So the idea of the blackness of the pharaohs is not so much about the colorist discourse, born of racist discourses. Blackness as a color then, was not a symbol of shame. And people have always traded from the different walks of life until the beginning of the 15th century. So what Afrocentricity does, it's not entrapping itself within the Euro modernity discourse. And this is where some of my arguments then with the decolonialists have been, if you start with the birth of modern Europe, you're already entrapping your own argument because you cannot step out. Of that paradigm. You are actually inaugurating the very illogic of the system itself. So, Afrocentricity is stepping out of Europe, stepping out of Arab, stepping out of the Roman, stepping out of the Greeks, and is given the story of human civilization.
0: Yeah, thanks for that overview. Um, I'm a historian, so I always like when we're tracing the historical antecedents of arguments, I think that's really important. So, When you take an Afrocentric approach, I was wondering if you could talk to us more about the importance of considerations of positionality and epistemology when you're taking those approaches and how that ties into your argument.
1: Of course, uh, the nomenclature, Africa and centrism, it's about location. It speaks to the inseparability between identity and the production of knowledge. We don't speak as the nobodies, we exist within time and space. So the moment you say Africa and African, you are speaking to the questions of context and how that context shapes uh, people. So first of all, Afrocentricity, it's a locative theory that debunks what uh, Castro Gomez has described as yes. the speakers who start from nowhere and who are speaking from God's eye view. the the zero-point speakers who pretend that they are not defined by context and touched by culture. Meanwhile, they are speaking in a particular language as a carrier of culture and express of culture. So the argument, therefore, is that, which maybe may answer also the cultural question is that there's no person who is outside of culture. It's either you participate in your culture or in the culture of others, which is about shared predispositions, beliefs, norms, and ways of doing things of a people defined within certain localities. So those people definitely have a knowledge of how they look at the world and how they interpret life. So... um, In terms of epistemology as the body of knowledge, the argument is that there was one old professor, I'm trying to remember his other name, but it must have been Chambers. Is it Ronald Chambers? But he was known a lot within the sustainable livelihoods community participation movement in development. He he spoke about hand over the stick to the local professionals, who have the know-how. What that means in terms of epistemology is that if you want to know the people, ask them who they are, and then they will tell you. So Achibald Mafferche, as one of the renowned South African-based or Azania-based scholar in anthropology, spoke about epistemologies of alterity, which spoke to white discourses in the study of African people, which are like a white phosphorus. They float on water. They don't go deeper. And then he he advances the notion of Africanity as a combative methodology. So what Afrocentrists try to do or actually doing is to say that uh, if you want to know who I am, ask me and I will tell you my story. So there is groundedness in theory in production of knowledge that is conscious about the context within which people exist in as a base from which they should produce knowledge. So it is very identitarian in perspective because it recognizes the, the Afro uh, as a location from which concepts can be debated, but it does not question the identity of the Africanness, but it may debate uh, within itself and amongst the Africans what that means, but it does not start with the negation if there is ever such a people called Africans. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a really great explanation that I think is specific enough, but also broad enough, and that's really helpful. Yeah. Um, and switching gears a bit, I was wondering what some of the main criticisms of Afrocentricity are and what your responses to those arguments are in the book.
1: Uh, criticisms are actually many. Obviously, they will come from the Eurocentrists who are Black and white, which is Black people who have been trained Eurocentrically, who suffer from self-hatred because they will firstly have to start with the negation of themselves. Some criticisms have argued that Afrocentricity is a fundamentalist, religious sect that uses false history, that uses fiction in the imaginary of the past and a sort of romanticism. It's essentialist and it's egoistic. And some who are pushing the line of negations will even attack it and label it Afrocentrism, which is a negative uh, articulation that seems to suggest that it is nothing but reverse psychology that seeks to repeat the same thing that Eurocentrism is saying, which is if Jesus is white, then afrocentrism will say Jesus is black to repeat the same thing that Eurocentrism is saying. So which is why then those who are using afrocentrism are ironically are taking afrocentricity by even distorting the nomenclature of afrocentricity into their arguments to suggest that it is not a progressive ideology, it is progressive because, It is a backdrop of Eurocentrism and it is mimicry. So there are many other crucifixions of that. But part of the responses with the Afrocentrists have always been, let us engage in research and uh, let us be open about it. Um, But because we operate already within the Divided society, whatever you say, you're going to be accused. You cannot seek to escape modernity, criticizing it, and be seen to be neutral. So in a way, um, I think it is a scholarship that is born as a protest scholarship. You know, when Fanon said, I can't breathe, when the brother was killed in the Americas, trying to remember his name, when he said, I cannot breathe, get your knee off my back. So when you are pushing against the frontiers, sometimes you don't care. You're pushing with words, but claiming authority or the knowledge of the history that you say. And you can't be unapologetic. So you may still be judged on the basis of the ideological positionality of those who have a privilege of occupying the dominant space. So still... The judgment is informed Eurocentric bias about what you're trying to do. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) So I'm wondering if we can shift back gears more towards uh, development studies. Um, I was actually an international development studies minor in undergrad. So I received some of that kind of Western, ethnocentric, uh, Eurocentric understandings of development studies so i'm wondering according to your conceptualizations what does afrocentric development look like in practice and look like on the ground
1: um the afrocentric idealism advances that people develop themselves. Development becomes self-actualization. We exist within the confines of time and space. In our encounter with the environment, as we look at the earliest of civilization and we look at the, the Kermesians who cultivated the soil, who whenever the Nile Valley waters were high, they prayed to the deities of water for protection they built the dams they relied on agricultural production they were fishermen they were hunters and their activities surrounded around the Nile valley so what i'm saying is that number one the concept development first of all used eurocentrically is a concealment of evil born through thuggery african development did start in 1950s in the aftermath of Second World War people have always been working the earth mining some of the earliest 45,000 years ago mines are found here in South of Africa in pumalanga where people started mining gold and uh, we also learn about how many years back African women could mathematically count their menstrual cycle by you know, one of the artifacts we they have, such as Lebombo bones, which shows how they calculated the time for their cycles. So, people within their own context have a way of developing and advancing themselves to reach their own levels of civilization. So, what Afrocentricity is arguing is that people must be understood within their own context. That context sharpened their skills, the food they eat, how they get it, and how they make it. Nature provides everything that they need. So the notion of development as a straight-jacketed program from another nation to the other creates a little bit of a, a problem because it deculturalizes people, it makes them dependent beneficiaries, and it takes away their creativity. So I have premised my theorization of the ideal of the Afrocentric development on the grounds that it must be based on the Afrocentric idea of history of how a people have always survived by themselves, how their cultures and their colorfulness is an expression of them as a resource of a thought that incorporates ways of living, ways of interpreting, ways of preserving nature and how they don't eat everything that they have, their seeds, the idioms in their own culture and language to say, learn to save for tomorrow, the protection of an environment and the forest. So all of that symbolizes the way they understand, but also more in particular, I'm bringing another aspects. Not just history, not just culture, but assertion of the agency. What it means is that a development which is based on a false history advances a false culture and must depend on foreign agency, which is why the aftermath of the Second World War, it's about the IFIs, which is the Britain Wood institutions such as World Bank and IMF, in the name that they advance in development, when actually they are borrowing loans, that are self-saving. After they have uh, fractured and extracted mineral resources and they don't tell that this idea of development of the West is actually a byproduct of thuggery. They don't, sell, they don't even talk about Berlin Conference, that it was a thuggery conference that extracted mineral resources. They don't tell us that Belgium uh, through uh, Belgian King Leopold killed the people in Congo and chopped off the arms for the cast of rubber they don't say that they talk development so how can you say you're advancing people when you actually underdevelop them and i think uh, the late uh, revolutionary from guyana uh, walter rodney did uh, an amazing work in defending us by writing how europe underdeveloped africa not developed. And he he died because of the position that he took. So the ideal African development will take Africans. You know, in the words of Marcus Messiah, Gavi, he says, we shall not look to the east. We shall not look to the west, but we shall look to ourselves for our own survival. People have creativity if they are left to their own devices, to think with their own minds. There's a song by Ben and Spear, Winston Rodney, who says, oh, it's good, so good, when a man can think for himself. We all have a capacity to be creative, to plow the land, and not to be dependent. So Afrocentric idea of development is about African people unleashing their own creativity to do things for themselves. But for that to happen, as an educator, it must firstly begin with re-education and learning corrupt education that we have learned that is empowered us, that made us to become dependent beneficiaries. So, um, so through this text, I am saying a people grounded in their knowledge base, belief systems have what it takes to create a beautiful tomorrow, which is why. I'm a fan of Afrofuturism, which is how we use navigational lenses of poetry, of science fiction to imagine our lives outside of the modern entrapments, to think of our own robots that serves our own agenda, of our heroism that works for us. So we're not saying that we're opposing AI, but we are saying that if we have to allow these technologies to be dumped on us, we become dependent and our own creativity dies. So we are saying no development for us without us. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, thanks for that summary. Um, And I think this is something you've already answered in part but I'm wondering what you want readers to walk away with. What do you want them to remember? What's your call to action? What do you want them to do?
1: My wish, it is a, this book is a story of my struggle with dissentedness for myself, my struggle with what W.E. Dubois called double consciousness, my struggle with what only forget a Asante called the tortured consciousness. Um all of us we have names. We were born in legitimate families. We were given names by our parents. My colonial code name is Richard. And this Richard comes as a second layer of a foundation of a renaming what has already been renamed. So my act of reclaiming myself is that there was nothing wrong with the names that my parents gave me, other than I became abused and encrafted into the name which is not mine. And Professor Maleficator-Sante schooled me in that journey about the power of name and naming. And um, this book is a story of life and renewal. It is a story of Hope that from brokenness, we have what it takes to rise. We can break out of the shell of defined identities to reclaim ourselves. Uh, Through the little acts of reflections of how we got here, seeking to find the navigational tools, we have an ability by posing and asking the questions, just as Stephen Bantubiko, through the idea of black consciousness, consciousness of ourselves, taught us, just as uh, Robert Mangaluse Sobukwe taught us that we are the sons and daughters of the soil and of the land that we walk in, we need to walk in confidence and without fear. Just as Kwame Nkrumah taught us that we are not Africans because we are in africa but because africa lives in us so what this book is saying is that no matter how broken and sad the situations may be when people begin to resuscitate a love for themselves and become patriotic and become united around certain ideals they can be able to to conquer professor maulana karenga through the career the idea of kawaida teaches us that if we lose the minds of our people, we have lost the political battle. So the issue of decolonizing the mind, decolonizing our view of life, it's a starting point. It is we Wiroedo who said, Africa, know thyself. At the moment, we are a bleeding body that participates in cultures we don't know. In languages, we don't know. And we are people who are subjected to various kinds of addictions that manages our ability to awaken from slumber. So the journey back home, you know, I'm reminded of the great Roman god-man, the man standing as a god at the entrance of the Roman Empire, Horatius of Christ, who asked the question, how can a man die better? And those words were also taken by Robert Mangaliso Sobuk. When a man is ready to speak the truth, his truth, the truth about his life, then he can rest in peace. So the hope that I'm giving is that Africans are not slaves, are not born as slaves, but they were made slaves. So when we resuscitate the history of the past greatness, it began to reverberate greatness. Ours is not necessarily a retaliative discourse, but it's the discourse of life and light and joy. That is what I'm trying to push through this book.
0: That's a really important message uh, and a very personal one, which is, I, I think, really important when you're writing this type of book. Um Well, thanks so much for uh, writing this and for sharing with us. And I hope to see more of your work in the future and and see what you do with this
1: book. I'm blessed and thank you very much.